Oh. No, there's no I, drumming. That's not the dance you do this, Rich. <laughs> I love it. Do that drum move again, Rich, right now. <laughs> He's like a regular Phil Collins there. Although I don't even think Phil Collins could play the drums anymore. All right, let's do it. You're kidding. Of course. It's extremely frail, but he is touring this this fall. Welcome, everybody, to episode 64 of the Light Shed podcast. And that was, I guess, the second most streamed song ever on Spotify. And the reason I picked it this week is I was driving last night and I have Sirius. I actually really like Sirius um, service. And I looked at over at my um, at the screen because I like to flip around a lot and three of the stations still had that song on. And I think it's been out for quite a while. So still very popular on TikTok. So I'm very, guessing that that's the driver on the soft uh, or the Spotify numbers. It's also like the always intro music to NBA 2K. Um, oh, is it? Yeah. So, speaking of TikTok driving music, Olivia Rodrigo was at the White House this week. So uh, literally the song got discovered, basically blew up on TikTok, became the number one hit on Spotify in January. And she was at the White House this week, basically recording vaccine promo videos or, you know, whatever PSAs. Oh, that's that's going to open up a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I will say well, no, that- no, no, but it just shows you the power of TikTok in the music industry right now is I think I agree with Walt. Like, I think TikTok is driving a tremendous amount of music industry. Like, just like YouTube used to, I think it really is TikTok now that's having that impact. Yeah, I would have never heard of that song because I don't drive my car, nor, nor do I. <laughs> you, you don't drive it. your car. Not really. You live no. in the suburbs. I know. Do, well, do you have a driver now? Kind of. So serious, though, um, like, yeah. whatever. So I, to the to the point, my discovery on that song was TikTok. Yeah. What's interesting, you're like a lot of people now. If you go on Spotify right now and look at the top charts for the USA, I think Olivia Rodrigo is like half half the charts. She is. It, it, it is incredible what has happened from how TikTok fueled all the other platforms and just reinforced. I, I think it's amazing and what it's doing for music. Um, the other thing that happened this week is, I guess it was now the first time that the three of us actually were in the same place at the exact same time, believe it or not, in what, a year and a half. And, and also in Manhattan together, not just Man- in the yes, same place. In, Manhattan, in Midtown Manhattan. Well, to our podcast and- listeners, I finally got the invitation. Yeah, oh, come on. Walt. So, no, but basically we met with, we met with clients we did met with a whole bunch of clients and i was all like "Ooh, like we're doing this like almost kind of marketing thing i didn't know what to wear because you know like in this like post-covid thing is it like do you dress like down a lot are people still dressed down because a lot of people are working from home do you like dress you know nice like it was also nasty weather in new york complicating the decision no i know i was all like freaking out i probably changed like three times um, was getting made fun of by Jess like nonstop. Well, I didn't know that. Now that's funny. 
Yeah. So then I finally like arrive and I see Rich from across the way and he's wearing his free Britney t-shirt. Pull, yeah. Rich just pulled it up. So I posted this to Instagram stories and this picture, which looks like a paparazzi shot, actually got more feedback than I think anything I've ever posted on anything in my life. It, it made Us Weekly. Did you see the Us Weekly story? It, it no, looks no, like no, no, I'm just it looks kidding. like it should be in us. But Rich in his free Britney with his golden goose sneakers, he like he had the whole thing going on, and it was just um, a good action shot. But it's more likely man, to make Ape Weekly, and maybe that you should you should let Ape us weekly. take pictures. Maybe we should make us allow us to take pictures of you than you of yourself, where you take those terrible angles. Oh, dude, you have angles. no you idea. Just, you how give to yourself take a, no favors in, in terms of. Yes, you have angles. no idea how to take a selfie, Rich. And so great picture, Brandon. Please change that to your all your profile pics, so I, I can get people out of my mentions because that's a yes. good picture. <laughs> Seriously. And by the way, credit to Mark Kelly for also predicting exactly what Rich was going to yeah. wear. Not to the exact yeah. thing, but he said he would wear some fucking. So I, jeans. so I, I was talking to Mark before, and I was like, I don't know what to wear, whatever for like marketing now. And he's like, I bet Rich will just be wearing a T-shirt with some kind of a slogan on it. And yeah. lo and behold, Mark knows us all better than anyone. And that's exactly what he's wearing. And he also predicted my garb, which I feel fucking embarrassed. Yeah, like a like something a, a, cooler a for that. Down. Yeah. But I'll say this. It was great to spend time in person with clients. There's the conversation is actually so much better um, than it's and on been, a Zoom. Than on Zoom and just like having multiple people like at a lunch was really cool. However, Midtown is a fucking disaster. Yeah, it well, is. Hold on. Wait, think, wait hold let's on, talk so about the start. Right. So watch as I was about to do. And sorry. <laughs> so when I hopped on the train, which I normally took pre COVID, it's a rush hour. It's a little later than I would normally take, but still on days that I was kind of late, late sleeper. If I was on that train, it would be packed. By the time you hit Scarsdale, people would be like sitting in your lap and stepping in your toes. And Rich can bring up the picture for those watching While the video. yelling at people not to talk yelling, in the quiet, yeah, car. quiet car. I know. Fucking. Yeah. This was the quiet. This this was the quiet car. Every car was the quiet. Every car car was the quiet car. But for the podcast listeners, what Rich is showing is a Metro North train, which basically no one on it. Now, granted, it is the summer months, but I tweeted this picture. The parking lot was like crazily not filled. So um, I tweeted this, and I got feedback from people in the LIRR, and and even the subway was like thirty percent filled. When I'm sure you guys would be like in someone's no, I, armpit at that time of, of the morning and, and on the nasty subway. Um, so yeah, so that was the start of the day. And then we get in there, as Brandon was saying, we were doing some some meetings, some lunches, yada, yada. End of the day, you know, the nice thing to have a cocktail. All of our fucking great places are basically shut down. Uh, like, I don't know. We, could, we, we were, literally couldn't find a place. Bars. Like, we could bars. not find a bar. Bills, monkey, all, all, I mean, the, all uh, the mid, all the midtown finance, MPON, which I think is they places. said they may reopen. I think yeah. it's MPON, MPON, MPON. Uh, all, yeah, all the finance bro places were all <laughs> shut down. And it all, was, the, all the places where you're going to see somebody wearing a Patagonia sleeveless vest, you know. I guess all vests are sleeveless. Well, right? no one's wearing Patagonia this week because it's so yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you you know the type of place. They're gone. 
It was startling. Um, it was startling. I mean, I you know, I just um I, I don't know, like this far in. I mean, look, it is again July. We'll see what happens in September. It brings up there was an article, um, I think it was Journal or the Bloomberg or somewhere talking about vacancy rates in New York City being 20%. And it just kind of goes to show this is commercial, I assume. Commercial residential um, in, in New York City. I think we had a tweet on that. I don't know. We residential we just had okay. literally no vacancy. It's crazy. Office vacancies soar in New York in the, in the first line of this New York Times article. Um, nearly 19% of all office space in Manhattan has no tenants, the highest on record. And, you know, so let's not go to WeWork. If people are going, let's yeah, seriously, if people are thinking about coming back, you know, for September, you would think that some of this would be getting cleaned up considering that's in, I don't know, six weeks. Right. Yeah, but, like, but every business I talk to, like I, I've had a bunch of meetings with companies in the last week. This is rich pitching for us to no, get our office. No, I'm just dying saying to have an office. No, every person I talk to is like, we're going, you know, when we come back, we've gotten rid of two floors. We've oh, gotten okay. rid of a floor. Like everyone is condensing because they're assuming or not even assuming the, the, the work strategies are, you know, more flexible three days on two days off. Like they're, they're definitely reducing density in the city, even as they go back into the city. And right. so, so the cogent, I don't think this is going to change. So the cogent thesis on this, though, is let's say you're a law firm Co- or whoever. Why Co- didn't you do your cogent? Co- the yeah. thesis on this is um, if there's a law firm that had three floors and they're consolidating because of whatever, a hybrid workforce, and they're down to one floor. So you were you were previously one customer of cogent that those second and third floors are now going to get released to other companies and there's a multiplicative opportunity as new companies to come in to get so they're in reality though those offices aren't getting leased so in, in cogent's case if they can't get the, the corporate business has not been good all year it's been like down sequentials they've been leaning heavily on the fact that Streaming usage has been up, right? The fucking numbers, like they're up 7%, 9% sequentials because of, you know, Disney Plus and Netflix and all these things. Like, we'll see if streaming continues into the summer months, but if streaming just does its seasonal patterns or just doesn't have this kind of COVID-driven growth at the same time where people aren't coming back to the COVID office, you have to wonder, like, what are they doing continuing to growing the dividend at that pace? It's just the numbers, the so math basically- doesn't work. Right. If I say and if I go net net on what you're saying is cogent might be a short. Well, I don't know if we're there yet. We'll see, again, we'll see how yeah. the streaming thing kind of plays out um, and how corporate looks. But like this was a well, we know kind we of an eye opening experience. We know subs are slowing, right? It's a yeah, matter but, of and what, they were back to what engagement looks like. Right. right? But yeah, they, but they were they themselves just getting were, angry. They go were ahead. converting people to um higher ARPU gig speeds type of thing, but they've almost kind of gotten through their base to, to do that. So the question is like, when does that 20% get um, sponged up? I know Rich wants to get in there and, and, and maybe rent some space, but like, are no, other I, look, I, I was just going to say, on the streaming. Stre- well, I was going to talk on the streaming side, sure. you know, the, the comment about the reopening impact and the slowdown, no doubt first half is weak for everybody. I mean, really, other than HBO, which I think has had a very good first half, but everyone is having a tougher first half. The thing that everyone needs to think about, though, is there were production delays and you've got really starting now. Like if you look at sort of mid-July, 
you know, I was just at the Raising Canaan. It was a stars show that comes out. It's Power Book Three that comes out Sunday with its first episode. Yeah, but really me, starting me, like this Lay, week. I know you listen to our fucking podcast. Thanks for the invite, dude. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, there is going to be an insane amount of content, high profile content, starting really mid July through the end of the year. Effectively, a year's worth of TV content on streaming over that five and a half months, and so. I'm not saying it's going to lead to more engagement, Walt. I mean, it's it's an interesting question of like, does total time spent balancing sort of opening up with versus tons of content and a lot more people having been subscribed to these services during the early parts of COVID, what does that mean for total engagement? I think it's going to be hard to tell. There's going to be mix shifting, though, also, right, out of, you know, your favorite thing, mix shifting out of traditional TV. What effect does this have on sports? And we've beaten the sports ratings to death um, over, you know, the last several weeks. Um, does it does that become competitive to sports ratings? Or- well, let's there's just also, tie in. There's also, hold on. There's mix shifting. Video game time spent. Right. Video games. And what about actually going outside? What's that? I mean, it's the thing where you walk out of your house and you're oh, it's not, too hot out. It's hot out now, but over the course <laughs> of the kidding. third quarter, <laughs> I'm I mean, it's just look. I mean, there's only so much time in the day. Like, how much mix shift is is really going to happen? And I don't know. You had fucking massive numbers for streaming usage wise. Yeah, um, but I want to jump to this because it ties into this, Brandon. Why don't you talk oh, about this? Because I think this is surprising. We're we're I'm audibling. Starting. I'm audibling. You're audibling, and we're actually getting to our format, which is the tweets. This is from Games Industry uh, at GI Biz. Twitch and Facebook see an increase of four percent for Q2. So basically, this is uh, Facebook Gaming and Twitch both saw hours watched. Hours watched. Yes, hours watched sequentially. Um, from Q1 to Q2, even with, you know, sort of the reopening happening, um, go up. And this just shows you, again, the the mix shift among time spent on entertainment towards two things. One is live streaming, and the other is video game content, whether it's the games themselves or um, video related uh, to the games. I just think that that is sort of the counter narrative, right? Like, is uh, is it growing as fast as it was? No, but it's actually still growing, which is sort no, of it's st- point. It's st- right. It's still growing um, as reopening really continues to accelerate. And so, I mean, that content is more important than it was pre-COVID and continues to gain importance. Sorry, Walt, I think you were No, that's fine. So how do you layer that on top of um, the data point that Galone gave us this morning about how the DirecTV sub loss was much lower than we expected. The churn was much lower than expected. I mean, in Q2. So I'm not talking about Q2 because Q2 ended in June, right? So yes, I'm talking about Q3, which is what we're in now and, and how usage is going to trend now into Q3. Again, on backs of, you know, in, in the case of Cogent, which is, you know, they're, tran- they're a, a small window into usage. You're, you have these plus seven, plus nine percent sequentials. Maybe it's it's up again this quarter in the second quarter, but like Q3 what is happens, what you're really worried about, right? But you were just telling me that in Q3 all this content is going to take streaming up again. So I'm going to push back on that right now. Yeah. So we'll come back to this in in three or four months, and I just find that 
hard to believe is layering on what Brandon's saying about gaming and Facebook and Twitch and all this other, like there's only so many, like everyone hours in a up. day. It's all yeah. a war for time and attention. I mean, this gets back to the, I've written that somewhere, I think. Of, yes. But everyone can, this is the underpinning of all our thesis right. on, on this industry, right? It's what we look for first is changes in time and attention. Yeah. Not to give away like, you so know, Q2 to we agree is kind of meaningless at this point, like, because it's behind us. The really thing, the real thing is what happens in Q3 and then what happens with COVID and then what happens in Q4 because then we have the, all the fucking, you know, year on year comps that are going to be that much harder to, to beat because you've, you're going against the massive growth from the second half of last year on, on, uh, you know, COVID generated. Well, speaking of COVID, COVID, Brandon, you I, know, I mean, this you is lead like, us through it, Brent, because I know Brandon's <laughs> freaking out a little bit. So why don't no, you I'm read not, this? I'm not, I'm not like fully freaking out. Um, just a little bit. Okay. This this was this is the Facebook one. Okay. I'll read this, but then we could just take a step back on COVID and Delta. This is for from Steve Herman. Quote, we are in regular touch with the social media platforms about COVID-19 related misinformation, says at PressSec. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook. And then Matthew Ingram, you know, kind of gives a little more color on this. Biden officials who took concerns about vaccine misinformation to Facebook concluded the company was, quote, either not taking this very seriously or they are hiding something. And uh, we all saw kind of the, or a lot of us, the press conference, I think it was, was it yesterday or the day yeah, before? I think it was yesterday. Maybe it was the um, day before. About Facebook. Uh, I, I guess it was almost all of the, quote, vaccine misinformation was coming from a few accounts and Facebook not doing what they um, can to get rid of that misinformation. And I don't know. I don't want to get political. Also, here. standing standing alone versus other platforms that had taken those same accounts down. I guess is that's what well, the that's, what yeah, the yeah. A, a, basically what they were saying. You yeah, that yeah. tweet up again. Yeah, hold on. Just quick, I just want to understand the wording here because it was quoting. This is quoting someone from the oh, government, right? Yeah. So I said we're flagging problematic problematic. Po- are they flagging problematic broadcasts on certain networks or? new networks that have been launching about COVID-19 related misinformation or vaccine uh, misinformation? Why, why, why are they attacking Facebook and they're not flagging think, the post? Of, we of have, we've had this issue. Facebook we've had the same issue. For- a very outsized influence on, on people. On, uh, the so basically what you're saying, population. they're just using it as an excuse how many, to go, a, to, how to many go people, after a common enemy. Uh, how many people watch Fox News um, in a given day? Look, how many people are on Facebook in a given day? Well, aren't those Fox News or Newsmax or one OAN posts amplified? Not the people watching it, but they're the clips or the content from them actually put on Facebook and Twitter. So well, if you're just well, if you're just, you if go, you're measuring right? viewerships versus the the content itself. The point, the point that so you're blaming that you're blaming the, the, the distribution platform as opposed to the as underlying opposed content. To the source. Okay. Yeah. Look, I have long wondered why the rules for social media and the attacks on social media are different than the rules for TV, whether that be 
you know, you can look at Sinclair TV stations, you can look at Fox News, like you can look at lots of stuff that has happened over the last couple of years. And there has definitely been a targeting of social media, not even just Facebook, but a targeting of social media. Like remember when Jack and Zuck were brought up on, you know, into Congress, you didn't see TV executives sitting next to them. Like there's there's definitely well, there's, there's obviously also politics there. I mean, sure. if you remember like like Trump and like uh, trying to take down those platforms because he felt like, well, eventually they banned I, I, him. But the, like, the bottom line is all media should be treated the same. Media should be treated the same. Like Walt is right. You should have a balanced approach, whether it's linear, whether it's digital, mobile, it shouldn't matter. You should have the same approach to how you deal with these things. And the, the, the rules should be essentially the same. Right. So but, you so you would argue so someone would argue that well Facebook is shoveling based on the interest graph, but I would argue that so is MSNBC when you watch it, or so is Fox when you watch it. Oh, they're yeah, shoveling they're, you the interest graph that you're bubbles. selecting. Right. So what's like, the difference? <laughs> there isn't don't it's watch just, MSNBC and liberals don't watch Fox News. Right. The only Very difference good. is the only difference is I happen to watch I both, can't but. I can't see Fox News unless I turn it on. I can't see MSNBC if I don't turn it on. There's when I turn point, on Rich. Facebook. They can filter in anything can bubble up based on something else. And so there is a virality that doesn't exist on TV, which is a fair criticism, but it's still bullshit in my mind. You don't have to turn on Facebook. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like at the end of the day, you don't have to. Two billion. And I, th and I thought someone didn't have to turn on Twitter. Last time I checked, they were supposed to do this. Maria Bartiromo, let's just bring that up again. But six months ago was saying she was leaving the parlor. So, so technically you can just go to whatever to be fair, want. I can't turn off Twitter. Well, I don't think I actually could. Just... I think I literally would have a palpitation. <laughs> I don't think it would be good for me. Bottom um, line, the, but Brendan, could, how worried debate, are you? I mean, debate the poll. Yeah, exactly. No, we but I was going to say, like, Live Nation, are you getting nervous? Are are people getting nervous? Here's you know, no here's one... here's the update. I actually I spoke to two booking agents um, this, this week. This week, and I I already told you that there's some good points and some bad points but it all works out i'm just a little freaked out which is that's a talking head song by the way um the uh, concerts are like full 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 steam ahead um the booking agent basically told me that things are opening way way faster than expected and like like both of them said way more of their rosters are touring this fall than originally they were supposed to and were expected. So the amount of concerts is piling up. The one thing that concerned me was there was a festival, the peach festival in Pennsylvania. I think it was a couple of weeks ago and there were, you know, a, at least that I know of even a, you know, close to double digit number of people who were double vaxxed, who um, got COVID. And I, you know, they weren't severe cases at all, um, probably because they were double vaxxed. But, you know, there's going to be, when people are gathering, there's going to be um, some breakthrough cases, especially with the Delta variant. And it will be interesting to see when all of these indoor shows happen in the fall. And there's, you know, no slowdown to this, like how much more of an issue it is. And I mean, I, to me, this just goes back to the importance of vaccination to limit um, 
the spread of these variants as much as possible. And I don't, I, I still don't get why, you know, half the country doesn't want to. Um, That's a longer debate that we're not going to be able to have here, but um, you know, it makes me sad. But um, the, the bottom line is it's, it's definitely something to be extremely vigilant about, but events are coming back consider continuing to accelerate in their reopening um despite that and by the way there there were two data points the foo fighters actually did cancel saturday night show at the forum because yankees somebody, last night yeah and and uh the yankees last night anyway enough on covid yeah let's, move, let's on. move on so um it sort of ties to covid though in a way because I think if you look at Variety, they're pointing out some big news out of Disney that happened this past Sunday. In a rare disclosure of digital revenue, Disney reported that Black Widow generated more than $60 million from Disney Plus Premier Access, in addition to earning $80 million in theaters. And it's actually a shitty tweet because it wasn't $80 million in theaters because the 60 is a global number. The 80 was really 158. So it was really 60 versus $158 million, but I think most reporters didn't realize that the that – the, Disney Plus number was a global number. So they were charging $30 in the US, but in Latin America, they were charging 12. I think in Europe, they were charging like high teens. So it's probably two and a half. Maybe if it's, it could have even been, you know, close to 3 million people bought um, a Disney Plus premiere access and watched Black Widow at home, which is a pretty big number um, considering it was only week one. What I think I'm really looking for is what happens in week two. Like, well, I know you haven't seen Black Widow yet. Um, I don't know whether you're going to watch it at home. I was out with a bunch of people last night at this power thing. A few people had watched it at home on Premier Access. I think we had lunch with an investor the other day who had watched it on Premier Access. The question is going to be, does Premier Access have legs? Like, do people buy it at home after week one? Is it really a week one phenomenon? Interestingly, as of the recording of this podcast on Friday morning, um, Black Widow is not in the top 25 on Disney Plus. So certainly it has fallen off pretty dramatically over the course of but, you know but midweek. That's, but that's during the week. People are going to have much more time on the weekend. Correct. I, I, I will say this, though. That 60 million number, when I saw it, actually blew me away. I know we've had investors say they were disappointed by it. Uh, I I. I never have been a strong believer in pivot especially at the, at the $30 price point. I thought if you want to do it you need to bring the price lower. But well they might have done 80 if it was at 20 they might have done 80. No no no, I know I don't know where what the right point is for the elasticity um, of pivot but but a lot of people I think the single biggest question I've gotten all week people in the industry theater owners investors you know filming everyone's just wondering what, what was it? Why did, of course, the apes. Why, why did Disney release this number? That Disney has never released a number ever. The 60 and st- Yes. Well, I think and people are even up. saying, like, what happens in the future? Like, will they announce a number in the future? But why do you think they did it well? I think it's pretty obvious because the number was good. No matter what you're, you're saying, the 60 are, million. Are you going with Occam's Razor here? I don't know what that means. What's it's Occam's like- Razor? The most simple answer is generally the right one. It was a good number. We put it out. Companies report when they have good numbers and they stop reporting when they have bad numbers. So like if I look back at the movie, you know, it's not getting great reviews, um, but like 80 probably should have done closer to 100. The 60 obviously 
So combine if you just looked at that combined, maybe yeah, they right. didn't get it is Occam's razor. You're right. So because, maybe they go ahead. Maybe they didn't get the full they wouldn't have gotten the full 140, but if they got 120 for that movie, aside from the bear trap that you were trying to set last week, like comparing it to Marvel, 120 still would have been a good number for a movie yeah. that that wasn't that that great. So so to me, it's like it's it's really just a validation of what you've been saying and what we've all been saying, frankly, about releasing, making movies available to the way customers want them. So I think Disney wants to give that information out to get keep that momentum going because I think they see the, the value in that. Well, and I think the other the, the other part of this is, you know, from the standpoint of um, changing the dynamics with theater owners, right? Like Disney already gets more money than everybody else. So, so what like, do they the get? Splits like are, low 60 splits? Yeah. Are Everyone else gets 50. Disney gets low 60s, sometimes even mid 60s is what yeah. their speculation is. To me, this is just flexing, right? Like you're just pounding your chest. We don't fucking need you. Like we don't need you the way we did. We can drive those splits. If you if you if you don't give us a split we want, we're going to just keep taking more and more for ourselves and keep pushing this harder and harder. I think this is a really brilliant move to just sort of push that dynamic, give them more leverage because look, to, to what you know, Brandon was saying before, like who the hell knows about COVID? Like, I don't know what's going to happen over the next six to nine months. And if you're Disney, I think waiting around for people to get comfort with sitting in theaters and for theaters to be fully opened. And now we're seeing some, I mean, LA is going back to full masks. Like who knows what that's going to do to attendance in theaters. Like there are real issues over the next 12 months with the theater business. Disney needs to blaze its own path. And I think this is, you know, we can debate what the right price point is. Should it just be part of Disney Plus at no extra cost? Like we can go through all of those things. The bottom line is this gives them more leverage with theater owners. And so it seems like a very smart move. The and one from question an IR I keep, perspective, right? You print an 80 million number and let it stand on its own. Right. And people right. are like, damn, that's a shit yeah. number. Like, you know, Disney screwed, but then you put out a 140 combined and it's like, oh, that's actually a good number. So it's just like the simple solution without all the conspiracy theories as well. But now I'm going to ask Walt a question, but now I'm going to ask Walt a question. Do you think, what do you think the odds are that when Jungle Cruise comes out with Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson at the end of this month, Rock. do they, do they release the number on Sunday afternoon? That's the same release as, as the way they're doing this. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. We'll see. Depends if it's good. I don't. I'm not really familiar with that movie or that. It's know. turning the ride into a movie. Gotcha. How yeah. long do, 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 does the consumer know long, how long they have to wait until they get it free on their Disney Plus subscription? You know, it's funny. Disney's actually. It's one of the things that I give them a lot of res credit and respect for in terms of doing the right thing for the customer. Right on the screen where it says, "Do you want to spend thirty dollars?" It literally says on that screen, it will be available at no extra cost on on October 9th. I also thought I didn't buy it yet. I'm, I'll probably buy it this weekend um, just because my kids that did go said that it wasn't great. So I'm not going to bother going to the theater on this one. But I did see how it worked. And, and it's pretty good integration, meaning that it's only asking for my security code for like my credit card that has already been loaded in um, within the Disney app. So that's it, it's a nice integration in, in that regard. Rather than having yeah. to go through the mess of like, you know, typing all that shit in. Well, this is on your Apple TV Plus, I presume. Or sorry, Apple this TV. Is this, the interface, the, yeah, it's an Apple TV hardware. 
Disney Plus, obviously, on the on the app. So nice of Apple to get their little twenty percent big on that thirty dollars too. Absolutely. Um, okay, let's move on. Um, let's go um, into Netflix and gaming, Brandon. This is from Mark German. New story with Lucas Shaw. Netflix is planning to add video games to its service in the next year and has hired Facebook's VR games content head and former head of mobile games at EA to run its new gaming division. Okay, so this is, I mean, first of all, Netflix had socialized the fact that they were getting into video games. This is not a surprise. I think what is a surprise is that there were games that are coming onto the service um, as quickly as it is, right? Meaning, you thought you would have thought before this is we're going to develop a Stranger Things Roblox game. No, we're going to develop. I I, no, I didn't. I didn't think that. I thought, look, they're going to start developing some stuff in house. It'll probably take a little while. I didn't think they were going to actually go and license anything. Um, and you know, over the next, however three or four years, we'll start to see experiments pop up of double A or mobile type games um, on the service and we'll see how it goes. Now, it does seem like the games that they're going to put on there are things that are faster development, right? They're going to start with with pretty simple mobile games that are probably tied to their IP and they'll see how it goes. Yeah, I I wouldn't expect, you know, you think about it, you, you can't really expect Grand Theft Auto, right? Because you're not on no. a big screen, you know, like okay. this, uh, I, you don't a have second. a ro- I, I Most of Netflix viewership still occurs on the big screen, right? They don't have so, a remote control. There's no way to control well, it. You're going to have to use it. Oh, yeah. I, I'm saying, like, gonna- what would you use when you're watching, when Walt is watching Lupin, which he's going to start watching soon, I'm convinced. When he starts watching Lupin season two, and then he goes back into the Netflix app and he sees a game. There's no easy way to just start playing yeah, you're the gonna, game. You're going you're gonna to have to have a, um, a remote control. I don't think that's that difficult. There's plenty of remote controls made by third parties, and they could you know, put that functionality uh, into... But that's why I think you start with the phone and the PC, because everyone who plays games is already comfortable with gaming yep. directly on those platforms. Like the TV, which is, again, the majority, well, as you console said. Console players play on the TV. Correct. But I, they I, use so a console. Forget, forget, so PC, you have your uh, that, keyboard. I, I don't know. I, no, I look, just, I, look, it's actually, it's an interesting point, Brandon. You got me thinking. Xbox and PlayStation are still big platforms for Netflix. They're smaller than they used it, to be. That's That's exactly what I was going to say. But yeah, that's an interesting in, point. I think mobile games are the simplest, easiest, and cheapest um, ones to make. It's a good way for them to start to experiment, and I don't think they're going to lean into making, you know, bigger and more involved games until they probably have some traction on these. And even if they're going to make those games, it's going to take a long time. Um, for them to be built and we know we've seen you know amazon try their um hand in video games right it's you have to develop the chops to uh, to execute on them and it's no guarantee of success sort of on the same 
same it, theme though is Genvid too, right? I mean, if you think about what yeah. they're trying to do. Yep. So this is from Jacob Navuk. Uh, today we're announcing Genvid Series C round of 113 million and the creation of Genvid Entertainment. Um, and then from Variety, Genvid raises 113 million to build out massive interactive live games. Miles um, taps X. Netflix content exec Cindy Holland as advisor. So that, you know, relates into Netflix here. But the whole the whole point in this is like the end game for for video is not just on-demand video. Um, video is going to become much more interactive. Genvid kind of like live services. There'll be live like, services in content, essentially. Yes, and and well, ways to interact with video content, cloud-based um, gaming is, you know, more, obviously you're using the cloud to have um, Netflix um, have being able to offer games, but cloud-based gaming allows for totally new experiences, which Genvid um, has created with Rival Peak. And in that press release, or not the press release, but the Variety article, they talked about, you know, tons of content creators um, being or major content IP holders um, being signed up to create experiences using Genvid technology um, in, in the same vein as Rival Peak. So new forms of media are being invented. Genvid is uh, playing a strong role in that. And we were happy to have Lightshed Ventures be a part of that. I guess I should fall on the sword because I screwed yes. this up. I love no, this. No, I'm going to take full Mia Culpa. I'm going to read it, take my Never Mia Culpa. Never I win and you lose. No, well, it. <laughs> but, but, but this is less of, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm going to explain in a second. No, but I'm going to explain in a second. So Kayvon uh, at, at Twitter, who's the chief product officer, um, wrote on uh, July 14th, we're winding down fleets on August 3rd. We weren't seeing the impact we'd like to see from a big bet. So we're going to pivot our focus elsewhere. Uh, you know, first of all, I was the one who said, you know, it's great for Twitter trying new things, pushing new products when they launched this. This was the same time that LinkedIn was doing stories and sort of like everyone wanted to do stories. I think Reddit was doing stories. I think, you know, I give Twitter a lot of credit for trying things and I give them a lot of credit for shutting things down. My guess is, not only was fleets not working because I don't think anybody knew really why they should put stuff into fleets, but I think the bigger problem also was I think the big focus internally has shifted in terms of like additional products and that real estate has shifted the spaces. I think yeah, I just think they see far more engagement than they're seeing out of fleets. But you hated um, fleets from day I, one. Uh, yeah, you I never just, understood. I it. just I never got it. I, I didn't think that it was that Twitter was the right format um for or the right platform for that format uh when it, it first came out there were like 25 people in my feed um posting fleets i didn't i went through them didn't understand what the hell they were posting or why and then it shrunk like 25 24 23 and basically they were, we were down to pretty much zero at this point anyway it was you know a poorly conceived product and on they go pivot Done. Amazing! It's it's free real estate, and people didn't take advantage of it. Meaning that, to your point, so few people were using it. You could dominate people's screens by using it, and yet still, it didn't. Uh, Great point, Walt, well, because it was right at the top. It was the yeah. first thing you saw when you opened 
it, but nobody, you know, found a way to to make it work. Well, if you space think about it, the same that- thing, and I don't, I still, similarly don't see it. But the problem with spaces, I think, is people. I think a lot of people don't understand you. A lot, you can do spaces. It's just finding it in, in your tweet button is a little challenging. That's just a an easy fix. That they, I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. Well, look, I think no. I was just going to say like. Twitter has been trying to figure out what to do with that top bar real estate. You know, obviously Instagram pivoted to stories. If you think about it, but it was Twitter native to Instagram's uh, platform uh, and what you were I doing understand. in your regular feed anyway. So I understand. I'm just, but I'm just saying, if you go back to Noto days, right when Noto was there, what was the top used for? It was live for live video. video. So we went from live video to fleets. Now we're going to spaces like I think Twitter's still trying to figure out what is the other mechanic to consume more time. Like, how do we keep you on the platform and use that top real estate for something beyond just the vertical feed below it? I, mean, I don't know whether audio is going to work or not. I mean, I think they well, seem very excited video, about it. If live certain video someone was bitching. <laughs> Go ahead, Walt. If live video is not working, why would live audio? Because at least video, you can obviously get the audio, but sometimes video... If there's text beneath it, it's. Yeah. I think the, the reason like here is and stuff. If you remember, well, no, but video is very much just watching. With audio, at least the premise, right, is you know interact. You can be pulled up on stage. You know, you can actually you know, you know there theoretically is an interactive element that doesn't exist when you are watching Thursday Night Football inside of Twitter. And it's conversational. I mean, if you go back to, like. And I, I beat this to death, so I'm, I'm sorry. Are we going back this. to Sports Talk Radio no. and Adam Bain? No, we're not. But okay. we're, we're going back to the you have an operating system and you have easy access to every application on that operating system. And when you open Twitter, the expectation is to go through a feed and find data points and conversation um, in your interest graph. It's not... The, the behavior isn't to sit and watch long form video. So that was extremely poorly conceived too. I mean, what, right? what, so what is spaces fit. though? Spaces is long form audio. No one's on going on spaces for, you know, two minutes. Those things are up there for like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So Look, again, it may, it, not work. My, it may not work. It just but, gets back to the root of my question, which is like, if it didn't, didn't work one way, I'm not sure how it works the other. All right, let's move on. Just one more. I mean, the pitch is that, well, you're in Twitter and people have conversation away from um, uh, the live audio feed. And so you're already in the Twitter app. But like if you're on Clubhouse, you know, and Clubhouse has its own problems, you're still in that operating system and you can listen and flip over to Twitter and have Twitter open at the same time you're in Clubhouse. So I don't necessarily understand what the advantage is of doing everything in Twitter. Your argument would be then that they should just be, they should be more aggressively um, licensing a Twitter embed and whether it's audio or whether it's Clubhouse or Odyssey or whatever it is to make that the default text thing. But the reality is, if you run Clubhouse and you already turned down a ridiculous valuation, you probably think you're just going to build your own. Like, why would I want to put Twitter in there? There's a lot of reasons that make sense why you'd want to put Twitter in there. But I think my guess is that the approach that a lot of these companies will take is like, we'll just do everything. And, and uh, uh, yeah, when I'm saying that's the wrong approach, I agree with it, you. Let's do one thing really fucking well, build the ultimate brand equity 
be the default for that sure. one thing. But Twitter's at the whim of the, de- of the decision by whoever's doing that live video or that live audio. And while you and I would agree that they should just use Twitter and have best in class for both, that they'll probably just try and design their own, right? Their own chat within it. More time spent is my gut is why they want to do it and should. Let's go to UFC ratings, Brandon. John Oren. UFC ratings notes. Pay-per-view buys came over just under 1.8 million globally. Dana White said as much at the post-event press conference. Okay, I read that poorly, but whatever. I'm told that 500,000 of those buys came from international, which means ESPN Plus logged around 1.3 million buys. So this is obviously an absolutely phenomenal number um, for Disney Plus and for the UFC um, internationally. However, again, (laughs) and this is why the stock got hammered when it became clear that first of all, Connor is injured. And second of all, that Connor isn't Connor anymore. Um, His buys, the buys for his events are more than double what they are for anybody else on the roster. He is the one athlete in the UFC that transcends um, uh, the sport, Um, which is losing him is not a great thing for the UFC. The top five pay-per-views in UFC history are all Conor McGregor. I don't really understand it. I don't understand why it's so top heavy in, in that regard. I mean, the other numbers are not bad numbers. It's just amazing no, I mean, just how much bigger else it does gets. like 700,000 and like a Connor fight does like 1.7 uh, million. It, it's the global appeal is also just obvious when you talk about it. But I mean, look, I, I guess the going back to what you were saying before, you know, Endeavor's got you know, certainly has has had good news on, you know, obviously the, Connor getting hurt, but has had good news on sort of the trends in UFC ratings just overall. You know, you've got on that same slide, you've got, and I should pull it back up, but you've got, you know, to me, ESPN plus raising price both monthly and they raised the annual price a few months ago. But raising price, I assume more than anything else is the major thing that you're subscribing to ESPN plus for is for UFC, right? Like, that's yeah. really no, what it I don't becomes. I don't want to kind of like black box, you know, Conor McGregor and say, like, that's what should drive um, Endeavor stock, because there's a lot of other global trends that are, you know, that Endeavor is leveraged to. Um, and obviously, Disney Plus is taking all the U.S. pay-per-view um, risk out. So you ESPN Plus, had, ESPN Plus, no, sorry, not see UFC. Plus. UFC no, on Disney Plus would be awesome. That would be an awesome thing sorry. to see that ESPN Plus. So you're completely de-risked there. There's a great deleverage story, um, and there's things behind that. So the stock was probably a little oversold. But this is not. I mean, when Connor goes away, the UFC is going to be less popular period end of story luckily they have things like streaming video exploding no that's what massive I said. They're, concert they're demand lever- exactly they're leveraged to many other great trends sure. um yeah. and, and even the ufc deal but, i think goes through 2025 so that's right that's right and so they have time to develop 
you know, another star. Uh, but we but, saw this like when uh, you could look across sports, like the heavyweight division when Tyson was around and how much sure. bigger heavyweight boxing was when Tyson was there. We saw this in WWE with The Rock and yep. WWE has not been able to develop um, stars. Basically, I mean, they had Cena who's like, you know, not great but even since cena there's been nothing so having that big star is extremely important um, to these sports so we've got this tweet from andrew marshawn that really surprised me it goes news nbc is expected to produce amazon's exclusive thursday night football package that begins in 2022 so not this coming season the season after the deal will likely be for three years with an option for two more, according to sources. And what's surprising about this is like everyone was asking, like, how is Amazon like they're going to go out and hire trucks and build a broadcast operation with Uplink and, you know, like the whole infrastructure. And it seemed like sort of setting the stage for Amazon, you know, with with the NFL was going to then do, use that infrastructure to build sort of a massive sports organization and then you learn that they're basically outsourcing it to NBC and the same NBC team that basically produces Sunday night football is going to do Thursday night football. And it's like, part of me goes like, look, it's exciting that they're doing it. Hopefully they can do some innovative stuff, but it, I wonder how much less innovative you can be if you're producing through NBC. Like I was thinking like when you're watching the game, will the backgrounds that you see in the stadium, will Waltz be different than mine because it'll be targeted it's all a digital broadcast. There is no linear. Could they basically sort of, you know, really customize what the look and feel of the experience is? But then you find out it's going to be NBC producing and, you know, it probably is going to feel a lot like Sunday night. When we did our events with the NFL, I thought there was specific reference to alternative audio, which, as you know, is a big deal for me to get something other than Joe Buck on, on a particular game. So you're right. What happened to that? And, and bigger questions like, What's up with Sunday Ticket? I know there was there was something in, in the press recently about Apple. But oh, like, about Apple. We talked. Yeah, where is that? We where, talked where about is- that on last week's um, oh, yeah. podcast. Like- but I mean, like thinking into that, the NFL clearly was targeting um, the tech platforms for Sunday Ticket, and they've been chopping it for a while. I don't know if the price has come down and that's why Apple is now interested, but I don't know from what we have heard, we heard like out of the gate, at least there was pretty tepid demand from those tech platforms. I think, you know, the question becomes now that you've got the big linear deals in place and, you know, everyone is sort of trying to figure out who makes that next move, you know, does the NFL want, you know, I mean, Amazon's just taken a big bite. Do you want more sitting at Amazon? I'm sure they would want it. I'm sure Disney wants it for ESPN Plus, but how much of your business do you want to tie to ESPN? Like, I think there's real question marks of just like, who gets it? I mean, look, we've also uh, heard it may be non-exclusive and, and it gets the, split up among three or four people. I think non-exclusive yeah. is actually probably the way to go for this. I think that if you have, you know, different um, companies marketing it, you know, especially strong marketers like Amazon, you're probably in totality going to sell a lot more, which if you participate in it, I I don't think it should be a fixed deal, should drive the most um, revenue for the NFL. Is Amazon a strong marketer? Well, for no no one's better at selling 
product. I mean, look, I, I, look I, at I, video. Look at Amazon, like the the uh, video store on Amazon, uh, HBO, and every uh, pretty much everything that they marketed in that store did so much better on Amazon than it did direct to fully direct to consumer. Like I, I just remember the number because it was someone had mentioned to me. I think on Trolls which was like that first pandemic film that was available for purchase instead of in theaters. I think Amazon did 70 to 75% of the transactions. Trolls live football. I think there's differences in being able to sell books and shoes and trolls and things like that. And live football. But the the, the other, I guess, yeah. I mean, the other streaming video live streaming video. So it's, you're not, are you just worried about the people that are in prime or are you trying to broaden the market and create a, a digital platform. And maybe, maybe the issue here for the digital platforms is they've seen not so great sports ratings in other sports. Obviously, the NFL is very different from others. Maybe they're going to say, let's see how fall, let's see how the ratings look in the fall when then when football games start. And if they have a, a downward trend, um, yeah, maybe that's an opportunity to negotiate a better and these, you know, talk about guys that have information and understand how people use content. So if I'm Amazon and Apple, I probably have a pretty good sense of <laughs> what what type of usage is going to happen. So maybe they're maybe they're basically telling you by their lack of not aggressive interest that what they're expecting um, this fall for the football season. Let's hope it's a good football season. Um, Engadget's got a story, probably not shocking to anyone, given that there's. Apple Pay, Google Pay, Shop Pay, Amazon Pay. Now there's going to be Facebook Pay. Uh, buttons are coming to online stores uh, starting in August. Again, Brandon, probably least surprising story out there. I mean, in a world of IDFA and trying to get more information and just, again, Facebook talks more about shopping now. Like They don't talk about long-form video the way they used to a few years ago. They talk about commerce now and shopping has been a huge part of earnings calls and revenue growth. So, putting a pay button on websites. And, you know, I guess the only thing I wonder, and this sort of goes to what Walt has put a lot of, I think when, when Walt's talked about getting privacy efforts, well, but I was also thinking privacy, like people have comfort with Apple having their personal information, like credit card information. I wonder how successful Facebook will be. Like, do you trust Facebook with your, you know, as a payment processor in the same way you trust an Apple? Well, I've seen a lot of sites that have gotten rid of Facebook login. So I don't know if that's a telltale sign. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I use Apple Pay as I mean, as much as I possibly can I use, use Apple Pay every now. Every store. I, I, I don't ever pull my wallet out. I pr- And I like Shop Pay online. I use Shop, Shop Pay, Pay now amazing. a lot, which I know Benedict Evans was sort of the first person to really point out sort I of the, the. I think Shop Pay is the greatest thing ever. But. Oh, okay. So like, will Facebook pay? Obviously, they're late um, in terms of moving this direction. I think the pandemic certainly dramatically changed Facebook's perspective on being a commerce engine. And they clearly built stores for everyone. And, you know, they've certainly put an army of people into the commerce end of the business. So p- pay is a natural extension. I just think the question, you know, it's sort of like the whole thing on fleets. Like, they're not bad ideas. It's just a matter of will there actually be usage? Like, will people use the pay button if they see a Facebook pay next to an Apple pay? Does your brain go, I'd rather use Apple pay? So the answer to your question, Rich, is no. People are not going to use Facebook pay. Uh, look, it's going to be a great topic to revisit over the next couple of years. So I'm on I the think, record and saying no. Yeah. 
No, I look, you may be right. I, and I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this privacy point and how people think about sharing that information with different apps. Like, sure. It's one thing to say, like, I, I don't mind using Google rather than using like DuckDuckGo to, to share my privacy. I don't mind doing this Chrome or that Chrome. But like, in this case, like, why would you proactively like use Facebook pay given the history that they have. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just don't know how much the average consumer actually thinks about that. And I guess we're going to find out how much they really. But if they think, if they think, to, they have to think about it to proactively say, I'm going to enter my credit card information. I'm going to start hitting that button, right? I mean, you, you buy something on Instagram, you enter your credit card information, right. they have your credit card information, then you press the button on a third party site. It's a seamless checkout. And then Facebook knows what you're buying on the third party sure. site, has the data and can improve the marketing to you on their platform. Right. In I that think case, that's the, sort of the no, way I agree it goes. with you. And the consumer doesn't think about that because they're just t- typing in a credit card. But that's different than setting up a Facebook pay account where you're like saying, like, hey, Facebook, I'm like, I'm going to get in bed yeah. with you for my payments so like, the question the, is no on if you're on instagram and you want to buy something and check out on instagram and you give facebook your credit card information then they have it already and you have to seamlessly press one button when you're on another website is you know do they have enough scale given they have two billion users um that that button is not just going to magically appear brandon you're going to have to say hey i agree for you to save my credit card information or create this facebook pay can i i mean how they can't you know we'll see let's, let's uh, see how shops does right okay i'll, I'll say instagram no. shops yeah <laughs> i'll take a position on this one and we can revisit it in some months this or is going to be whatever this will be fun to watch i will do it after it rolls out we'll get to see it so streamable stars universal tie up multi-year deal for universal films beginning in 2022 there was also netflix news this week doing things with universal bottom line you know we've been talking a lot on the podcast about sort of you have two choices right you can be an arms dealer like sony and make boatloads of money selling to third parties and just creating content for others you can do what disney's been doing now what paramount's doing take the content in-house and try to build your own direct-to-consumer streaming service. Universal seems to have gone down the middle of trying to have their cake and eat it too. So they're putting content, and let's just think about this, months zero through four, it's going to be on in movie theaters. It may only be, it may be day and date, but it's going to be some window generally in theaters. By month four, it's going to get to Peacock. It'll spend months four through eight on Peacock. Months nine through 18 it's going to spend on it's going to spend it's going to hold on nine through 18 it's going to spend on amazon prime if it's live action netflix if it's animated then months eight 19 through 22 or 20 yeah 22 it's going to spend on uh, peacock again starting in month 23 it's going to go to stars for at least a year then it's going to go to peacock again then it's going to go to Netflix, both animated and live action, and then it's going to go back to Peacock. So if you followed all that, there'll be a test at some point later today that will circulate for our listeners. But essentially, the idea is Universal's making a fortune here. So they're still getting a bunch of time for Peacock, but they're making probably even more money than Sony made through all of these sales. So it is a huge windfall for Universal. The negative is obviously they're not keeping it all internally for Peacock. And so it sort of shows me 
it's sort of like putting one foot in one foot out for Peacock. Like they really wanted to build Peacock. They would build a, you know, they would keep it all for Peacock forever. They would build a great discovery mechanism and start resurfacing this content. They don't really believe in Peacock. And so this is like, we'll give Peacock a little nudge. We'll help them. But we also want to make tons of money by selling this to third parties. And so this to me is like the ultimate have your cake and eat it too. We'll see whether it works. But obviously financially, this is phenomenal for NBC Universal. They're making a lot of money selling pay one and pay two movies to streaming services, including their own. Um, Brandon, you've been sort of surprised by the number of sales. Why don't you, or intended sales, why don't you read this? A24 is from Variety. A24 recently explored a possible sale with the indie film studio floating an asking price of between two and a half billion and three billion. I think that was the same. Is that the same number that was um, floated for Hello Sunshine? No, I thought Hello Sunshine was like over a billion dollars. I don't think it was oh, two okay. to three. Okay. But I mean, look, MGM went for $8.45 billion. Um, hey, look, I don't know. I don't know what the library of A24 looks like in terms of global rights or local rights. And I don't know the cash flows or anything, but it's it's pretty clear that there's this feeding frenzy to buy yeah, studio well, I, content. To, I mean, to buy or to sell. Like, why is right. it? Oh, that's a great that's a great uh, that's a great yeah. thought I mean, process. Like, have, is they it, haven't gotten bought yet. They're for right. sale. Why are they suddenly for sale? Is somebody saying this is the top? Right. Is, is this more of, hey. These prices are getting stupid. People are uh -huh. doing sort of dumb things on overpaying. Uh -huh. if, if people are going to stupidly overpay, we should sell too, uh -huh. rather than these are actually worth this much money and we should be set. You know, these things should be sold for this much. It's I, I sort of agree with your take, Brandon. This is probably trying to capitalize on like everybody wants more IP. Everyone's launching these streaming services. And hey, if you Maybe can get sort of stupid there's, takeouts. There's going to be consolidation among the streaming services and then there's going to be potential cutback um, on the amount of demand for IP at some point. Is this the top? I mean, I don't know. It feels like it. I agree. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Why don't we go to betting? Okay. We have two tweets here. One is, and excuse me, I have to squint to read this. It's very small. Bet MGM will have its logo displayed prominently on PNC Park's left field wall and behind home plate as part of a new sponsorship agreement with the Pirates. Um, Bet MGM went live in Pennsylvania in December. And then we have from Legal Sports Report, Sportsbooks, open your wallets and kneel at the New York altar because it's time to offer up big bucks to play in the Empire State. The more, the better. So if a couple of things here, one is in um, in park sponsorship deals widely um, are going to become a much bigger deal with the proliferation of sports betting. We talk about it ad nauseum about the um, different books trying to uh, vie for market share. I think there's more to this, that, that particular Pirates deal than just um, straight signage. I think there's um, some uh, in arena lounge stuff, um, which we've discussed in the past. And then if you look at New York State, if you read the RFP, um, the interesting thing that's in there is 
that books are part of bidding for it are going to have to say how much they're going to spend on marketing dollars. So it's very important to New York State that these books really market the shit out of their services. And if you tie the two together, it's actually pretty good for MSG Entertainment. Um, Wait, don't who, you think that, well, hold on. Don't you think this is going to be awesome for Fubo? I mean, Fubo could be the lead sponsor for all New York State sports betting. Like they could plaster their name inside of the MSG arena yeah. and spend hundreds of millions of dollars they don't have. I mean, they, they this could be huge for Fubo. Sorry. The, bot, the, the bottom line is there's going to be a lot of marketing dollars spent in New York State. And with the government know, the, encouraging the, it, or not the, even encouraging, almost enforcing it. it. The bare thesis was because they were going to a limited operator model, there wouldn't be that marketing. And so the RS, in-market RSNs like MSG Network and the in-market arenas like Madison Square Garden were going to be limited in their benefit. And that actually isn't the case. This is a, this is a pretty big tailwind um, for them. And you see the Pittsburgh deal um, as a paradigm. Obviously, in New York, it's going to be much, much bigger. Video gaming, EA, FIFA. Yeah, this was surprising. This is from GameSpot. EA has officially revealed FIFA 22, but its next-gen upgrade will only be available through the $100 edition. And... There were a lot of players bitching about this um, this week. I, you know, instead of spending ten dollars more, you know, going from a sixty dollars sale to a seventy dollars sale to play on next gen consoles, you're going to have to spend at least a hundred dollars to play FIFA on a next gen console. But, it, but is that just is flexing that, pisses, that it that pisses but, people off? That's the yeah, bottom but it, line. But is that just flexing that there's like kids that are just diehards and? At the end of the day, you're going to want to play it on the best thing, and so right. So it's you're saying it's inelastic, and, and I don't know. I, I'd be curious for Walt's opinion. I mean, he certainly has played FIFA over the years. Like, does forty dollars? Does an extra thirty dollars really going to make the difference of whether people buy this or not? I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't use my ability to pay for a game to determine. You know, <laughs> yeah. what the U.S. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I. FIFA's obviously gotten, soccer's gotten more and more, you know, there's been more and more excitement and engagement. You yeah, think FIFA, about the only reigns. Like that game is pretty consistently does, you know, a, you know, a range of unit sales every year. And I guess the World Cup's coming up is, is that everybody is right. Olympics, World Cup. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that the people who buy FIFA are still going to buy it every year. And, you know, this is a way to squeeze more dollars out of them to get them to upgrade to the most premium edition. I will say, uh, look, I, I guess if it works, the thing that to be thinking about, right, is, is there a greater upcharge for everyone's going to have for all games heading into 22? Like, is this going to be a theme if this works and they do well with it? Why doesn't everyone right, follow force this model? Everyone forced into the premium edition. Well, say. I mean, there's no logic to why it was 60 versus 70. It was just somebody said that. It was 60 for forever. No, no, I understand. And then somebody did 70 and it worked. Now someone's trying 100. If it works, I'm sure others will do 80, 90, or 100 just because. Inflation. I, I don't disagree. <laughs> it always comes back to inflation. Well, days, no, no, no. Right? <laughs> well, I always used to say it always came back to ball bearings, but now it actually goes back to space. 
Maybe next week we'll debate transitory versus not transitory on inflation since that's a macro thing. But since this is, we're kind of over the hour mark, I believe that we'll probably save that one for next week. Send us your views, uh, listeners, on transitory or not on inflation. So we're going to finish up, though, with a New York Post article, not by Josh Kosman. Um, just saying, talking about We got him in for the ninth week in a row. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Bing, bing, bing. Take a shot every time you hear Josh Kosman um, mentioned yeah. on our podcast. Um, the Post is highlighting the fact that Richard Branson's space flight, which occurred last weekend, um, the Simpsons actually predicted this in 2014, as they do so many things, it's and, really including... Weird a cartoon with him that looks exactly basically like what he was doing, but um, no, no, he was actually seated in a very nice chair, right. For a, a good chunk of it, looking like a, looking like he was flying the Delta shuttle really to Boston. Cringy speech, just like the cringy bike ride. I don't know he biked up to the space place where he launched for his very high flight. Um, but then there was like two, <laughs> two SUVs <laughs> driving next to him. So was he trying to make it like a, good for the environment like i don't understand the whole thing um space tourism 250 grand you can pop up and, and really fly high up i think neil degrassi had a really good kind of put, put it all in context he held up a globe and said they're basically going like a centimeter away on that relative scale as opposed to like a moon which would be 10 meters 10 meters away but look there'll, there'll be a market for this i'm not sure it's space exploration and rich is he now an astronaut because if you're in a plane are you if you fly up, if you're because they sat on that thing, they didn't press any buttons. They were just sitting there. They went into kind of pre-space. Um, does that mean if you fly a plane, you're a pilot? If you're a, a, a passenger on a plane, like how does that? What's the I, what I defines astronaut? You, I think if you're a, you, I think if you are on the the device, you're an astronaut. I think it, it's okay. how that works. So how so a space exploration or excuse me, space tourism really kicks in. This you go to Wikipedia for astronauts. It's just going to be lists and lists of random people that spent two hundred fifty grand to take this really high flight and launch up a little bit higher. Space tourism. I'm still stuck on this Nostradamus sort of Simpsons thing, where they remember they They're they amazing. had the, yeah. the Fox Disney deal um, in there. There's been countless examples, and now they have for our this podcast deal. listeners. I want to save you um, two hundred and twenty thirty thousand dollars. For seven thousand five hundred dollars, you can get if you want to experience weightlessness. You can get on a plane that will then just kind of like drop to the earth, and you can be literally in the same type of experience where you're in a plane but like floating around, probably for a similar amount of time as well. For weight for seventy five hundred dollars, just let me know. I'll send you the link. Maybe I get a referral fee. Brandon, what are we um, closing out on music wise? I don't but know. Gonna, they they wanted to go back to cities since it well, came up earlier, and so I don't so we know are going to go. We are going to go back to cities. Over. I don't know we what's are, going on though. But we we have a little bit of an audible for an ending because something really amazing came out that I just I think we should talk about as we fade out in the music. So um, humor me on this. So hold on. Let me just right, get the let me get the music going. Surprise. You're going to like this. Here we go. So there is going to be an ape festival in Las Vegas in 2022. Book your hotel now for the hotel special. 
because you're going to get to meet the entire ape family of Matt Coors, Trey Trades, Hunter Mav, Andrew Mo Money, Short the Vix, Mast Investor, and Rogue. Oh, what's the date Rogue of that? the Legacy. This is 2022. Oh, I don't actually know the date. I was this hoping is that it was going to overlap. 2022 event. I was hoping that it was going to overlap with my Eagles. Um, why did you turn the music yeah, off? Uh, I had to go. Eagles Raiders um, game. And we didn't even hear the music. Is this is this event is this a festival going to be sponsored by Dish and their new five G network? Well, so I, I, it's funny you say that. I, I it's asking for sponsors on the website. Like if you go to the website, it's asking, do you want to sponsor this right, now? That will be our question for this quarter for Charlie Ergen on his call. <laughs> will you be a sponsor of the Ape Festival? Will, will, I mean, will the Dish Five G Network be the official sponsor of Ape Festival in 2022? Rich, you have to go to fucking Ape Festival. I mean, what would I wear? What do you wear to an Ape Festival? Do you do you wear like a furry? I mean, maybe Joe Galone should go with me. You have an ape. I wear like an ape suit. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people. Let's 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 buy Rich an ape suit. Dude, it's the craziest thing I've seen. Like they're actually gonna get together in Vegas and hang out and talk about. They can talk about how like their their stocks that are up twenty x are 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 being you know maliciously attacked. It's amazing. I love it, America. What? Have a great weekend, everyone. That's episode sixty four. The apes are a global phenomenon. No, they're it's not. It's based, mostly in the well, U.S. Don't based you think? On the mentions in my Twitter, unless those are just bots. Have a great weekend, everyone.